As Zach said, we started in this series called The Incarnation, and the first week we talked about the love of God, and last week we talked about the joy of God, and this week we're going to talk about another topic that plays out for us really well in this kind of season and in the sense that we wrestle with it a lot, that's the peace of God. All right, so would you join me in prayer as we set this to, Lord, you are the God of peace, and very seldom do we experience that. Most of the time we're too busy going and uh, life gets filled up with stuff or we think of what we don't have and all of that tips and tilts and torques us in directions that we never really intended. But in essence, we, uh, we come away um, not having your peace. And Holy Spirit, that's one of your titles is a spirit of peace. And this morning, would you be at work to help us think through this topic together? And we give that to you. Uh, with hope that it will help us center on what Christmas is really about. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So there's a lot of great themes in the Christmas season, right? There's just, you can, there's innumerable ones. But one of the ones that um, is a grand theme and is the, and probably one of the most potent is the promise of peace. Uh, You know how this goes. Right? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild. And then the last phrase, sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. You cannot help but hearing that hymn go through your mind as I say the words, right? It starts rolling out. Come Christmas Eve, we're going to sing it together. It'll be great. And enjoy doing it together with you. But the promise of peace, if you think about it, is one of the deepest hopes of humanity, that we could experience peace. And if you think of uh, the news, really it's about who has peace and who doesn't have peace, or who has peace been taken from and who has peace been given to. And uh, if you think through all the news articles like that, it it kind of shakes itself out into those categories. And in this beautiful hymn, which really is sung around the world, it's unbelievable how many times it's been translated in different languages. But it captures two types of peace that all of us can identify. First one is uh, a mother sleeping with her newborn child, right? There's just something about that. If you've ever seen a mom at church just holding an infant, they're sound asleep. And what do we say? I wish I could sleep like that. Right? I, what are we saying unintentionally? That baby has a peace that I no longer know. I wish I could sleep with that kind of clear conscience. I wish I could sleep with that kind of trust that I could just lay and be at peace. The other one is there's a peace, a heavenly peace that comes from God when one is doing what God asks them to do. Not that it's always easy, but you experience a peace when you're doing that. Mary was doing what God asked her to do. Joseph was doing what God asked her to do. Uh, wasn't easy, wasn't without trauma, wasn't without um, all the associated things that we think of in terms of a schedule that isn't working out for you. But it, there's a piece to it because they knew they were doing what God had asked them, helped them to do. A deeper picture behind this expression is the hope and dream that all is right with the world and that the world is operating that the way it was designed to, right? In your preparations, your Christmas, it's going to go, wow, I don't know your house, but, you know, running out, trying to keep 
hiding presents from people and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, you do all that kind of stuff. But somewhere in all of this, all of us have the hope that somewhere in this week, it will just go, and it will lock down and we'll go, ah, there it is. There's that moment. There's what we were looking for. There's the sweet spot where you're just together and it's working the way it's supposed to and you go, ah, Christmas. It's the peace of Christmas. Another hymn, now we know it doesn't work that way very well all the time, right? So another hymn that kind of expresses the disparity of peace in living in this world is this one here. It's called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And it says, their old familiar carols play wild and sweet, the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Repeating the words of the angels, right, to the shepherds. And, uh, and then it goes on to think, uh, the, the hymn goes on about how that peace is told down through history. And the church bells have announced, and every time church bells ring, we think of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then probably one of the more poignant uh, stanzas in... Uh, most of the Christmas hymn, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And isn't that true today? There's a lot going wrong. I was reading this week about the Syrian refugees and caught in a no man's land in between Turkey and Greece and uh, nowhere to go. It's sub-freezing temperatures. They don't have coats. They don't have gloves. They don't have hats. And to stay alive at night, they have to sleep together or they'll freeze to death. And they talked about the desperation and the, the lack of hope that they were experiencing. And I couldn't help but thinking about these words as I had put them together for this morning's service. It seems like one of the things that is robbed from us is peace. One of the things that life seems to be good at is taking away our sense of peace. And as the, the, the hymn goes on, it says, Then peals the, bo- the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And then we say, yes, and when? Right? When? As we're looking about this, as we're thinking about peace, again, I want us to look at Christmas through God's eyes and look through this issue of peace through God's eyes. And there's confusion on this issue. Acts 10 says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace. Uh, we often talk a lot about the good news and that the gospel is good news, but it's good news of what? Good news of peace. God came to fix a problem that most of us have, and the problem's deeper than most of us have wrestled with or thought through, and it's something that from his eyes is a serious issue. And I want to look at that this morning. Um, as we talk about what does the Bible mean when it talks about the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus, if you think about it, experienced very little peace himself, right? Uh, Even from his birth, Herod initiated the hostilities, and it rolled all the way through to where the Pharisees concluded the hostilities. And so if you're talking about a life of peace, Jesus didn't really have that. But if you talk about a person with peace... Jesus really had that. What's the difference there? Let's look at that this morning because it speaks to what God's trying to talk through. God sees the problem differently than we do. I want to suggest this morning that our lack of peace does not come from him, but from us. 
This is found in Ephesians 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. right? And by the way, if you think of airways and stuff, it goes over the airways. It's an interesting picture huh? of who owns the airways. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of, what's the word there? Does it say children of happiness, children of obedience, children of peace? No, what is Children of wrath. In other words, God's putting his finger on something that uh, is hard for us to get a handle on, but that we're angry. We tend to get ticked off quite easily. We tend to get frustrated really quickly. Uh, We tend to be rageaholics. Now, most of us are smart, so we're polite rageaholics. Okay? We know it's not wise to be an idiot here on Sunday morning and jump up and go, that is not true, right? Whoa, what's his problem, right? Right away. Um, but it, it happens outside of here. So we call on the road, we call it what? Road rage. Somebody took my lane. How dare you? May I say a fine word to you or so, right? That's not how we say it, right? It comes out in different syllables, than that. Many of us know, you know, the, the picture of the family that fights all the way to church and then gets here and smiles. What's that saying? We have a problem with anger. We don't allow it to show up here, but we allow it to show up in our homes. By the way, very foolish trade to think that we could operate one way here and another way at home and, and that our kids would buy it. Okay. But what's it saying? That the problem is deeper, much deeper from God's perspective, than what we give it credit for. We would say, no, we're really nice people. We're fine people. We're good people. We're really not that angry. But from God's perspective, he sees it as wrath. He sees our lack of peace as something that is actually quite hostile. Let's look at this issue of hostility here. And by the way, this, this message was really difficult to come up with because when you start on the topic of peace, it branches into about 15 other major things. And it's like trying to take a team of wild horses and rein them in. You ever see those old westerns where the guy's desperately trying and the horses are just running amok over the town and that kind of stuff? And it, it was like that. And and then even within this, I wanted to talk about peace and then the sword. And which one is it? I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Jesus, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. Which is it? And, and we didn't have enough time to do that, so I chopped out the sword, no pun intended, right? And so now we're tracking down this. So this is all we've got this morning, and I just want you to use your biblical knowledge to take it down some of those other trails. And so we're zeroing in on this issue of wrath, being a person of wrath. This issue of hostility, Romans 8 says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now, if, if you go to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 says, For the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They are in opposition to each other, or contrary to each other, so you cannot do what you want. No, I'm not that brilliant. I haven't memorized all that much scripture, but I use this one in marriage counseling all the time. Because fundamentally, we fail to understand our identity in Christ, And so when pressure hits, we go back to what we know and we operate out of our sinful nature, 
our flesh. And things come out that are not of the kingdom of God. And our problem it suddenly exposes itself for what it really is. But this idea here, the flesh is hostile. It says the flesh opposes the spirit and the spirit opposes the flesh. They are in opposition to each other. And so there's this issue of opposition. We would understand it on Sunday. A lot of you are going to probably watch a football game or two, right? The opposition on the football field is hostile. They really don't care how you feel. And they really don't care if you lose badly. Matter of fact, the badder you lose, the better it is, right? And if we can clean your clock, that's even better. Uh, Richard Dent uh, this week was talking about how he would try to take Cam Newton out, right? You have a hostility factor. Well, that's not just on the football field. It's in us. It's in our lives. And God is trying to end this hostility. It says, For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How can you tell if you're operating in the flesh? You can tell by your anger response. When couples come in, I ask them a question. I say, okay, on a, on a scale of 10, what's your, what's your anger level? Oh, we're not angry. Oh, good, then you'll reconcile. No, we won't reconcile, but we're not angry. Oh, you're not angry at all? No, will you rec- No, I, we will not reconcile. You don't see a discrepancy in that? Well, how bitter are you? We're not bitter. Why would you suggest such a thing? Well, because it kind of seems apparent to me that you guys have a problem. You're not reconciling, right? This issue of being unwilling to reconcile is a lot of the way we play out our hostility. And to God, he thinks it's a big problem. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians here. It says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, a lifestyle. When we're talking about church and what we're doing as church, we're talking about trying to reconcile things. How easy is it to reconcile things in our world today? Very difficult. How is it to, easy is it to reconcile things just in your own world? Right? Very difficult. Many of us have shed tears over that. That is in Christ. God In, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Here's the heart of God. God does not hold on to his anger. It says he has a major offense with us, but he's not holding on to his anger. He'll reconcile with us. That's how God is different than us. Because most of us want to always hang on to the offense for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And another person can do all kinds of things, but that's the first thing I bring up. Yeah, but back then you did this. And God's saying that really doesn't work when it comes to reconciling. He doesn't count our trespasses against them and trusts to us then the ministry of reconciliation. This, this problem is deep. If you talk about anger, you ever known some angry churches? Right? What do we call, what happens to angry churches? They do what? They split. Right? They, they, they peel apart. They, they divide. Over what? Hostility. Because it's not reconciled. People aren't really serious about that. They're, we're really serious about winning, and we're really serious about getting our way. We're not really serious about reconciling. And so God sees that problem as much bigger than what we would give it, we'd give it credit for. Look at this uh, passage in Ephesians then. Come back to Ephesians. 
the whole idea of Christmas is that God came so that he could draw close to us. That he could be next to us. That's the whole idea of Christmas. God stepped into our hostility is what scripture says. God's trying to give us a picture of what he's trying to fix. What is he trying to reconcile in us? It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. That's a very important point. It's not the stuff we have. It's not my house that brings me peace. It's not my car that brings me peace. It's not my marriage that brings me peace. It's not my my stuff that brings me peace. My peace is located in Jesus. And if I get away from Jesus, out the window goes my peace. Right? So as you're sitting here today, you may be in the chair, but you may not be in peace. It may be something that you're really wrestling with, and I understand that um, because I wrestle with that as well. It says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. What? This barrier of the dividing wall. There's, there's a, a dividing wall, barrier, that blocks us from really connecting with Jesus, and it is our wrath. It's our hostile reaction. And in this, um, as, we're, as, as we're, you look at that, it says he has made us both one. Remember uh, three weeks ago, David Goble was here and he used the parable of what we famously know as the prodigal son, right? And he talked about that parable should really be renamed as the gracious, loving father with two prodigal sons, right? Because there was the young son who was hostile to his father. Oops, sorry who was hostile to his father, and he grabbed the loot and scooted, right? There was the other son who did exactly what his father wanted, but he wasn't in any better shape than the younger son. They were both what? Hostile. Now, the older son looked better than the younger son because the younger son did bad things. The older son did good things. But you can tell in the story where his heart really is as soon as it's flicked because when the father says, hey, come on, son, come celebrate your brother's back, why would you throw a party for that derelict brother of mine? A reprobate. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's done to our name. And you know what? Besides that, you have never even given me so much as a kid goat to share with my friends, you stingy miser. And then you squandered on him who squandered on prostitutes. What is wrong with you? There's a lot of language you could tie into that story that would be way more salty than what we give it to. Right? We tame that way down. What's the point? The other son was in every bit as much trouble as the younger son. They both had an anger problem. One just looked more religious. One looked more right. But the anger was in both of them. Jesus, it says here, came down and made has broken down in his flesh the barrier of the dividing wall. How did he do that? It says, if you take it farther, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I don't know if you've ever tried to kill your hostility. It's not a very easy thing to do. Uh, I... We don't look like angry people, right? We're smiling. I don't look like an angry person, but I've battled with a major anger problem for over 30 years. 
I've told you that before. In 1988, God tagged me big time. said, you got a problem, buddy. And if you're going to do ministry, you better fix it because you're hurting a lot of people. Oh, that's enjoyable news. Thank you very much. I'm blessed. And I remember working on this, and uh, my friend Linda Hinkle uh, was in China at the time. She'd been in China for seven years. Some of you know her, our wacky, crazy missionary friend. And, and uh, when I got out of the car, I, I showed up at North Shore, got out of the car. Linda was standing on the sidewalk, and I got out of the car, and she looked at me, and she said, you're safe. I went, why do you say that? She says, I don't know. I said, what do you mean? I don't know. You're different. Something's different about you. And I said, you have just paid me the greatest compliment anybody has ever given me, even though you can't put words to it. What she was saying is she noticed a difference in my spirit because unknown, un, my blind spot is I was angry, and other people knew it well. If you asked any of my former youth group kids, oh, yeah, Mitch is angry, right? They're sitting there smiling at me. Stop it, all right? Um, <laughs> And so I have come to grips with the depth of this hostility that um, had grabbed me, had engulfed me, had twined itself around my spirit and soul and kept me from really experiencing the Lord in the way that I knew I could do it. And I found that it doesn't die very easy, that it's actually um, quite difficult to get rid of it. It says, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to peace to those who are near. God wants to preach peace to us this Christmas. He says, you want to get something major out of Christmas? You want to walk away with something? You want to take something out of here? You want to take it home to where it's important? Take my peace with you. Oh, by the way, to take my peace with you, you have to stop being angry. And he wants to spread that peace to people outside the room. Right? Do you think there's any anger problems in Mill Creek? Right? He wants to take that peace outside the room. And so he wants to bring peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. Um, those who came in baptism today, and the, the tank's here, and we did David Brahanovich in first service, and we'll do David and Glima in second. So it's kind of a David baptism day. And uh, sorry, we had one set up for second, but they, didn't, they weren't ready. And we're not going to force it, right? So uh, we said, okay, we'll, we'll be all right with that. But those who did came, and uh, you'll be able to pick up their stories if you download the message from this morning. What they were really saying is, I surrender. I give up my fight with you. I, I want to stop the hostilities and seek peace through your offer of truth. When we say that, what we're saying is, I want peace in my spirit. I want peace in my mind. I want, I want peace in my soul. Jesus wants to reconcile and to reconcile, we must bow the knee in acknowledgement that we've been hostile to his overtures. Right? That we have uh, railed against him. And this is important because, like I said, you may be here this morning sitting in the chair, but you may not be at peace. You may be smiling on the outside, but not reconciled on the inside. And if you want to close the gap, let me lead you in a prayer that may speak in words of what your heart's trying to say. Would you join me in prayer as I lead us? Just by yourself and think for a second, where are you on, an, on a scale of anger from 1 to 10? Where are you this morning? Are you experiencing the peace of Christmas? If not, these may be words 
that put a finger on it. Lord Jesus, I desperately seek your peace this morning. I acknowledge my distance from you and I acknowledge my defensive posture towards you in my spirit and in my mind. I acknowledge that most of the time I do life my own way and on my own terms and it's resulted in a lack of peace both in myself and with you. And I can tell and I can hear the other voices that are warring against my desire to trust you and close the gap. I hereby yield and surrender fully to you this morning. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and that your Holy Spirit would be given to me to save me not only from my sins but from myself and from my hostility to you. May I experience your peace in my mind, in my heart, in my soul. Lord Jesus, as we're not looking around, we don't have eyes to see, but you do. Someone may be engaging in their heart in those very words or words very similar to that this morning. And they also may be extremely nervous or defensive that they would be uh, called out on that, that they would be uh, asked to stand up or raise a hand or come forward. And Lord, that's not our goal this morning. I don't want to do that. What I do want is have them engage in an honest conversation with you. Some of us have known you a long time, and Lord, we'd say, oh, that prayer's for new believers. And you may be putting the finger and saying, well, actually, it's a prayer for you. And Lord, by your Spirit, sweep through the room, have a conversation with us, and have it on the level that it's supposed to take place with each of us. Some of us may be doing very well. Some of us may recognize, whoa, that's... That's me. Tag. I'm it. And Lord, as we do that, may there be a sense of reconciliation and a sense of assessing the problem your way. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. If you did pray that or you are wrestling with that, you're more than welcome to come up and talk with me later or one of the elders or maybe just a friend here at church who you really trust. That'd be good. Let's um, look at this peace issue terms of him by the way these are just a snippet of verses you'll find that this is there's 348 references to peace in the bible that's a few right so it means it's a big deal to god it says my peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world goes do i give let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid one of the things that kicks up that steals our peace is what fear right Fear and peace are often war against each other. And a lot of times we forget or fail to pray when we should. And we let fear rule us. And then the peace, let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Famous verses, right? Let the peace of God, which passes or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's God's peace that guards us. Did you know that? So when we bless somebody on the road, we lose our peace. What's, what's the value of peace to you? How willingly do we throw it away? Or do we guard it? Do we let Jesus guard it in us? It is a question this morning which uh, when we come to Christmas, say yes, let's, let's do that. Look at First Thessalonians here. It says, Now may the God of peace, that's actually a title, that's a name. That's how he wants to be identified. Okay? May the God of peace 
So when you're coming to God, it has to be in a peacemaking mentality. You want to make peace with him and you want to make peace with others. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So if you lean into him, he will root that out. If you let him, he will create a spirit of peace within you. He will take away the hostility. He will destroy the barrier of the dividing wall. On any level, if you let him, Scripture here says he will surely do it. He will sanctify you all the way through. That means as deep as it goes. How deep have you stuffed it? He can go there if you let him go there. Right? He will sanctify you through and through and completely, which I think is really good. When we're talking about this, um, I don't want us to guilt trip. Uh, what I want us to do is understand the issue, okay? Because I think the devil works really overtime, God's enemy. Uh, he tries to engage in and with believers. And what he tries to do is he tries to get them to move off their foundation of peace. And he's really good at it. He's really good at it. Uh, if you think about it, as I talk about it, it'll probably kick up words that you've already experienced before but what he tries to do is he tries to if god's given us peace he tries to get us to re-engage in the hostility how does he do that well there's there's two ways there's probably more but first i would suggest he tries to stir up the hostility in our mind usually that is god's not for you how is he not for you well he gave somebody else something that he didn't give to you Right? A spirit of covetousness, a spirit of greed. How come you didn't get that? Look at what you didn't get. You know, it's amazing at Christmas, uh, kids can get all kinds of toys, and what's the response after? Is that all? What do you mean, is that all? Is that all? Right? Well, as adults, we're no better. God does something for us, and we go, what? Is that all? And when we do that, we move off our foundation of peace. What happens then, now we're starting to measure and look at, how am I going to get something out of this thing? And why doesn't God do more for me? And, and then it becomes, and pretty soon we find ourselves really angry at God. And if you were for me, you would give me what I wanted. Congratulations, we just became two again. All right? Right? The other way that Satan works to do that is... Um, is to get us hostile in our spirit. He does this two ways. One is he will point out somebody who's irritating to you. Anybody got irritating people in their life? Right? And he will, and we will, he will say to you, you know, if, if just that person were out of your life, your life would be good. Any of you ever thought that before? Right? If I could just get rid of that person, life would be great. And then you can't get rid of that person. So then it becomes, well, God, you're really not powerful or good because if you were, you'd get rid of that person. The other way he does it in getting us hostile in our spirit is that he's not really pleased with you. So, for example, a lot of you just served at step-by-step and you not only served at the banquet, but you gave for the food and you gave for the toys and you just came out of that going, wow, this was so awesome to do. And then Satan said, well, you know, that was good, but wasn't quite enough you know if you had done just a little bit more god would have been pleased with you 
but you know, so sorry. He's not really pleased with you. Ever, ever have that one? And so Satan is a genius at getting to us to move off of the foundation of God's peace. And, and that's why I want to warn us, because what would he do? He'd love us to celebrate Christmas and not have the peace of Christmas. Duh. What good is Christmas if you don't have the peace of Christmas and you can't have the peace of Christmas if you're not reconciled to Jesus on any level, right? And so some of that is what's Christmas about? God came to reconcile and give us peace. All right, Satan's going to try and keep us from that. As the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. One of the messages of Christmas is have peace in yourself. With those whom he is pleased. All right, let's wrap this up. Let's look at Hebrews. It says, now may the God of... There's that title again. Have you ever noticed how often this title is used? May the God of peace. Why is this so important? Here's why this is so important. This is important because you become... I don't know if you know this, but you become like the God you believe in. Right? You become like the God you believe in. And some people really believe that God's really angry. How can you tell? Because they're really angry. And they believe they're showing other people what God is like because God's angry and they're angry. Many of the titles are not the God of anger. It's the God of peace. Okay, It's the God of peace. Now may the God of peace who brought again the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the shepherd. Who's the sheep? Us. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, give you what you need for everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May the God of peace sleep in heavenly peace. How about live in heavenly peace? This Christmas, as you go, my wish, our staff's wish, is that you would experience the peace of Christmas, not just in Mill Creek and not just in your home or family, but in your heart. Would you experience the peace of Christ in your heart? We're going to sing a great song that really uh, does this well. But would you stand? Let's pray together. Father, as we have gathered here and we're thinking about what the season brings and we think about Christmas and what you did, one of the things we realize is you walked into a hostile terrain to bring peace. You came to reconcile. And that wasn't just people outside the walls, Lord. That was us too. May your peace reign in us. May it be palpable. May others notice it. And Lord, if we do have an anger problem, may we take it seriously, see it the way you see it, and see it not as a little thing and not as a righteousness thing. May we see it's something we have to desperately move away from. Give us, equip us to do that. We ask this in your name. Amen.